You know, I don't know what you do for a living, but whatever your job is, you know, there needs to be indicators that you are making progress in your work. There's something, there, there's milestones or, that say, okay, well, I'm succeeding in what I'm trying to do. If you're in business for yourself, it may be the bottom line. It you know, may be the bank account. Hey, the bank account's growing, so I must be making progress or my sales are growing or whatever it is. In the church world, it can be a little tricky to navigate that. Like, how do we know if we're accomplishing our assignment? Our assignment here at Victory is every believer a disciple. In other words, we're interested in discipling people. But it's kind of hard to know sometimes, like, are we making progress? And we can track our numbers, and we do. Um, by the way, that's, that's the way we've known that, listen to this, in the last year, we've grown by 350 people just in the last year, right? And so that's really cool, and I love that. But how many of you know you can gather a crowd and not accomplish anything for the kingdom of God? So we're not just interested in gathering a crowd. So it's like, okay, what, Lord? How do we know if we're making a difference? And unfortunately, I'm, I'm a former worship leader. And so I actually tend to watch how we worship as a church as an indicator of are we growing spiritually? We start every one of our gatherings here with an opportunity for worship. Uh, I said that carefully because it's an opportunity to worship. How many of you know you can sing every word to every song and never worship? So it's just an opportunity to worship. And sometimes when I, again, I'm not trying to be hard. Please, please hear this from a pastor's heart. I'm just trying to gauge our spiritual health. And when I look out at our body as we worship, Tom, sometimes, sometimes I'm grieved because it's like, where's the response? Where is the showing of our affection and love for our God? And I actually said that to our team this week and they reminded me of my own definition of worship. I have a, a definition of what worship is and it's this. You gotta listen to this carefully and I have to chew it on it a second. My definition of worship is worship is a response to revelation. Okay. In other words, when I see something of God, when I see something new of his nature or when I see his character in his word or when, I, when something is revealed to me about who God is, whatever comes out of me at that moment is worship. Sometimes it's silence. You ever been there? Where you see God and you just, Ooh. listen, that sound right there, Ooh, that's worship. Right? When it's attached to, I've just seen God. And so they were like, Jody, don't get up there and fuss at the people about being more expressive in their worship because we, sh we can't turn this into a performance. Instead, what we need is people to encounter God. And when we encounter him, it all changes, right? And so my prayer this morning is that we would encounter the Lord and specifically, kind of the, the theme we're feeling is that we'll encounter his love. How many of you are open to encountering the love of Jesus today? So we're just gonna believe that's gonna happen. And since worship is a response to revelation, we don't, you don't just need to hear Jody's words, you need to receive revelation from the Holy Spirit, right? And so can we begin by praying 
and giving the Holy Spirit permission to move in this room and to give us revelation. Everybody on board with that? Often you have trouble praying for yourself. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to just out of the corner of your eye, look, look at the person on your right. And then look to the person on your left. What I want you to do is I want you to pray for that person, not yourself. I want to pray. I want you to pray for that person, those two people. Okay. Join me. Let's pray that every, every life in here will be, encounter the love of Jesus this morning. Holy Spirit, we yield to you. We ask for revelation. Open your word to us. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear beyond our natural ability to perceive. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. I want to talk to you about revelation this morning on a, on a specific topic, on the topic of redemption. Because I believe many of us don't truly understand redemption. We may have heard that word our entire lives. We don't understand what it really means. And therefore that lack of revelation, that lack of understanding causes us to approach God and serve God in kind of a lackadaisical way. And so I wanna to talk to you about the subject of revelation, of redemption this morning, and hopefully we'll receive some revelation from the Holy Spirit. There's four main questions I wanna consider on the topic of redemption this morning, and this will be the meat of my message. First of all, how much do we need it? Do, do we truly understand that we need redemption? Number two, what did redemption cost? Number three, what did redemption purchase for us? And number four, how to receive the redemption that's been made available to us. So that's where we're going in our message. Now, the series we're in right now is The God Who Provides. And so you may be saying, Jody, what does redemption have to do with the provision of God? Can I tell you something of all the things that God has provided for us? The most important thing, the most important thing that he ever provided for us was his son, Jesus. He provided, he provided the, 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 the payment for our sin through his son, Jesus. And if the, all the things, if that's the only thing he's ever given to us, it's worthy of our life. And so we honor the fact that Jesus was the provision for our sins. Can, would you join me in looking at John three sixteen? And we're gonna actually gonna put it on the screens here. And you know what I'd like for us to do? I'd like for us to remind ourselves of the beauty of John three sixteen as we read it together. Would you, would you read aloud with me right now? You ready? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Church, Jesus is the provision for eternal life. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? Come on, if you're gonna praise him, praise him. Let's go. Let's talk about the subject of redemption and what Jesus, what the provision of Jesus did for us in the way of redeeming us. The, the word redeem means to purchase something back that has been lost. In other words, there was something that was possessed, that something was lost, and that something had to be purchased back. Keyword there, purchased. It wasn't given back, it was bought back. And, and the, the amount given to purchase it back has to equal the value of the thing it's purchasing. That's just economics. I know the way I said, said that sounded a little tricky, but it's just economics. You go to Benoit Ford and 
buy a truck and he says it costs $40,000 and you hand him 20, you're not leaving with that truck. The payment has to equal the value of the payment. Jason, you can pay me for that little um, spot for Benoit Ford. Anyway, Jason Benoit, the owner, he comes to church here, so I'll get him later. Um, so, so do we need redemption, right? If, if something needs to be redeemed, it means to, be, to purchase something back that was been lost. What has been lost, church? Paradise was lost. Adam and Eve lost, lost for us. Here's what they lost. Please listen to me. A perfect connection with the father, a perfect relationship and right standing with God. Adam and Eve in creation stood before God in absolute right standing with him and in an absolute perfect relationship with him. In fact, it was so perfect, they didn't even realize the fact that they were naked. Come on, you imagine being so distracted. You don't even know you're naked. It wasn't until they sinned that they actually figured out that, so their clothes didn't even distract them. Perfect alignment with God. That's what was lost. Church, please listen to me. That's what Jesus redeemed for us. He redeemed right standing with, with the Father. So the question is, do we need it? I mean, do you, do you need redemption? Well, let me show you according to scripture. Bible says in Romans three, verse 10, this real complicated verse says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. It means that every person on this planet who has ever walked this planet, who has ever been born, we were born in a state of unrighteousness. Listen, the standard is not being good, the standard is being righteous. And the reason I say that is because, you know, we live in blue collar USA. Are there any good old boys in the house? You're not raising your hand, but I know you're there. In fact, you might not be here because you're hunting squirrels right day, because you know, today are, are in the deer stand. We're good old boys. We're good people. Listen, the standard is not good, the standard is righteous. And the word righteous means approved of, are acceptable to God. None of us, not a person on this planet was born acceptable to God, partly because it was our father, Adam. Remember the, uh, remember the movie Holes? You know, it was my, my pig stealing, no good uh, grandfather, Stanley Yelness, you know, he was the reason. Our, Adam, Adam was our problem. Because Adam sinned that, that the seed of man was now faulty and that seed passed from generation to generation to generation. You and I were born in a mess. And then, I know you didn't do this. It, it took me all of a week on this planet before I started sinning on my own. Anybody ever helped out that, that situation? So the truth is you and I, we are not born acceptable to God. And especially after we've lived a little while, we are not born acceptable or approving to God. Therefore, there's not a person in this room who is righteous. There's just none of us. You may have to just kind of look at the person next to you and just say, that's you. I mean, you're pretty good, but you're not righteous, right? So we all need it. So there's not a person here who doesn't need redemption. 
The next question to consider is what did redemption cost? What, what did this, this act of purchasing back our right standing with God, what did it cost? Well, it cost Jesus his life. It cost Jesus his life. Listen to me. Let me give you a little theology. I'm going to go deep, but I'm going to go quick. Man lost right standing with God. So a man had to regain it. That's why God couldn't just wave his hand from heaven and make redemption possible. God had to come to earth as a man incarnate in Jesus, his son. His very son. And and it's important. The virgin birth is important. Because if Jesus would have had an earthly father, he would have inherited the same faulty seed that you and I did. So it was important that he was not born by Joseph, his stepfather. Bible says that the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and so it's the virgin birth. So he was born without inherent sin, but then he lived 33 years on this planet and he did it to perfection never once faltering. He did what Adam was created to do. Adam lost it, Jesus finished it. He lived the life that you and I were intended to live. He lived in perfection and the Bible is clear that he was in every way tempted as you and I are. There's not a temptation that you have encountered that Jesus didn't encounter. He was in every way tempted, but he did it to perfection. So here's Jesus with no sin in perfect um, standing with God, righteous, even though we weren't. But at the end of 33 years, he was brought to a cross and he was put on that cross. Why? He, He had no sin to pay for. He was put on that cross to pay for my sin. He was put on that cross to pay for your sin. And I want you to look at a scripture with me in Isaiah 52, 14, describing what happened to Jesus there on the cross. This is a a messianic prophecy that happened in the book of Isaiah about what would happen to Jesus. And it said, but many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know he was a man. I want to tell you, the crucifixion was more brutal than you and I can comprehend. He was so disfigured, he didn't look human. He didn't look like a man. How many of you remember Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion? I think he probably got it closer than anybody I've ever seen, but I still don't think he captured it. The brutality of the crucifixion, I mean, completely mutilated Jesus on the cross. Why? Why was it so severe? Listen to this, it's so beautiful. You know why it was so severe? is because the wrath of God on sin was poured out on his son. The full fury of God's wrath was received in the body of Jesus. That's why it was bloody. That's why it was mangling. It was the full weight of justice being poured out on Jesus. And you know, there's this crazy scripture in Isaiah 53 verse 10. It says this, listen to this, how twisted this sounds. It says that it, pleased the Lord to crush him. It pleased God to crush his son on that cross. Doesn't that sound morbid? You know why it pleased him? Because every blow that he received was redemption. This is for Jody. 
This is for Lori. This is for Garrett. This is for Jess. This is for Gracie. It pleased the father to crush his son. Why? Because he was purchasing. He was purchased. Every blow of the hammer, it was purchasing. Church, that's how much he loves us. That he would pay the price of his own son to redeem us. So the cost of redemption was heavy. Next question is, what did redemption purchase for us? Can I give you the, the most simple and pointed answer I can give you? Here's what redemption gave us. It gave us right standing with God. It gave us right standing with God. Jade stood up here earlier and said that the Lord is pleased with you. You know why he's pleased with you? It has nothing to do with you. It has to do with Jesus. I want to show you a scripture. This is probably my favorite scripture in the Bible. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us. That's Jesus. Who knew no sin. Jesus knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We are now considered in right standing with God. That's what Jesus purchased for us, right standing with God. That's why Jade can say, when God looks down at you, he's pleased. How many of you that makes you squirm a little bit? Like he's really pleased with me. You know what the, the key to this verse is? It's those last two words, in him. We are the righteousness of God in him. The book of Ephesians, I love to study the book of Ephesians and count how many times it says the phrase in him. Because the truth is when God looks down at us, he doesn't see us, he sees his son because Jody is hidden in Christ. I'm covered, I'm wrapped up in that. That's the reason Jesus can be pleased with us because when he looks down, he sees his son in whom he is well pleased and Jody happens to just be nestled up in there, pulling it all up underneath. Remember, remember the story of Jacob and Esau when, when Jacob and his mom tricked brother Esau, went before the father, got the blessing of the father. Why? It's because he, had, he was covered in the skin of a goat. And when the father touched that, he said, you know, the voice, the voice sounds like Jacob. Oh, but the hand, that's the hand of my eldest son. When you and I pray, we talk to God. He's like, that voice doesn't sound like it's right in right standing with me. But he reaches over to his right hand where his son is seated. And he puts his hand and feels the nail scars and the son of his, the, his oldest son, the one who is loved and is in right standing with him. And we receive the blessing, not because of us and our own voice and our own works, it's because of Jesus. Can we just take a minute right now and honor the name of Jesus in this place? I don't know what that looks like for you, but can you just somehow express your gratitude to Jesus and just say, Lord, I wanna be hidden in you So redemption purchased our right standing with God. Church, I don't, I don't feel like we truly understand what that means. Is that there are things that belong to me and you that we don't deserve, but Jesus does. 
Therefore, I have access to those things, not because I deserve it, but because Jesus does and because he redeemed it for us. That, that tricky little verse in Isaiah 53, you know, it says that he was wounded for our transgression and bruised for our iniquities. And in this little phrase, I think hangs people up a lot. It says the chastisement of our peace was upon him. That's tricky language, isn't it? You know what that, that phrase actually means? It means that the correction that made our peace available was through Jesus. He made the correction so that you and I can have peace. The problem is we don't have a full understanding of peace. We think peace is that, that easy light feeling on a late October day when it's in the 50s and the sun is shining in the morning and I'm sitting in the deer stand or whatever it is. We, th we think this is peace. No, listen, peace is way more than that. Peace, and, peace means this, nothing missing, nothing lacking. Peace means whole, body, soul, spirit. Peace means altogether healthy, beautiful, productive church. We don't understand peace. We don't understand what the redemptive work of Jesus has purchased for us. May we grow in our understanding and grow in our faith and walk in all that's been purchased. It was too expensive of a price for us to leave behind the things that he purchased for us, church. We've got to understand and grow in our faith. The last question is, okay, if uh, we're in need of redemption and redemption costs so much and it purchased so much for us, how do we receive it? I mean, isn't this the question? Like, how do we apply it to our life? I mean, that's, that's the important question, right? And I don't know what your answer is to that. And I, I, I think the Bible could have been clearer on how, how to access redemption, how to be born again or be saved. How many of you would like just a nice, clean three-point process? That just would have been helpful. All we know is, is a few verses that, that give us some hints and maybe God was vague because if he knew he was really specific, we'd turn it into legalism and ruin it. So there's a few verses that give us clues on how we access the redemption that's been made available to us. But I wanna make it clear this morning. I wanna look at one verse with you. It's found in the book of Ephesians, the second chapter, eighth and ninth verse. It says, for by grace are you saved. In other words, that's we access redemption. It's by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now let's unpack this. For by grace are you saved. Well, the word grace has a couple of biblical meanings. One, the one that we're most familiar with is that grace is unmerited favor. Have you heard that one? And, and that rings true here. It's by God's unmerited favor that he made salvation or redemption available to us. In other words, in his grace, he said, there is a way for you to be saved. Another definition for grace though, it's a supernatural endowment. It's the ability to do something that's deposited in you that you didn't have that ability before it was endowed or given to you. That works here also. 
Because what the Bible tells us is it's by grace through faith. In other words, redemption happens through faith. We don't have that ability, but God at the moment, at that moment, endows us with the gift of faith so that we can receive salvation or redemption through faith. You with me on that? And so it's something we do by faith. And he says that it's a gift and it's not of ourselves. I really love this end because it says, it's not by works lest any man should boast. In other words, if there was something we could do, like physically, to earn our salvation, come on, we get proud about it. We'd brag about it. But what it says here, it's a gift to be received, but it has to be received by faith. But by his grace, he gives us the faith so that we can be born again. But it's not by works. It's not. Let me, let me work on that for a second. It's not by going to church. That's a work. You don't, you don't get redeemed by attending church. It's not by baptism. That's a work. It's not by taking communion. That's a work. It's not by writing a big check. It's not by helping your brothers on the earth. It's not by saving the whales that happen to be on the earth. You get this? There's no work we do, which that's what makes it so hard. Like, well, then how do I grasp this thing if there's no work that gets it done? There's actually the, the way of redemption, the way of receiving redemption, it happens in here, not out here. Now, there may be some things we do out here and if the things we do here are attached here, that can bring us to redemption. But it's not by going to kid mode. It's not by going to Sunday school. It's not by going to catechism. It's not by any works. It's by expressing our faith in Jesus. Here, at Victory, we've come up with a little process. And, and again, we try not to beat these too hard because they become legalism if we do. We call them the three R's. Actually, my dad kind of taught this to us as we were growing up, the three R's of salvation or becoming saved or born again or redeemed. You won't find these three R's in a scripture, right? It's just things, it's the elements that accomplish redemption and he just put it in a nice package for us. The first R is to recognize. What are we recognizing? We're recognizing that we need to be saved. So what the Bible says, there's none righteous, no, not one. How many of you are well aware of the fact that you needed saving? I mean, it was just obvious, right? You know what I worry about though is there's some of us who, who don't recognize that. We go, I don't know, we're, I'm, a, I'm a good guy. And I've never really been bad. We don't understand the holiness of God. What you're being compared to. You're compared to the holiness of God. Let me just tell you, church, we are wretches. The best of us fall way short. First, you gotta recognize that you're in need of redemption. You need a savior. Second is repent. Well, what does repent mean? Well, it means several things. Does it mean crying real loud? I, it may. That may be part of it. There is an element of regret attached to repentance. Can I hear an amen? Like, Lord, I'm sorry 
that I have been, I've lived the life I've led. So there is the element of regret, but, but repentance also means to take a turn. Like I was heading in this direction, now I make a decision to turn this thing around. So repentance is regret, but it's also a change of direction. And the best, honestly, the most complete definition of the word repentance, it's a change of mind. It's something happens here. You know what happens? We all begin life with the idea that I'm in control of me. I'll take the steering wheel of my life. Repentance is moving over and letting Jesus put his hands on the steering wheel of our life and say, I yield up control of my life. I yield it to you. I don't live according to how I wanna live. I don't live according to what makes me happy. I don't live according to what makes me comfortable. I have been bought with a price and I am no longer my own. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ that lives in me. It's yielding ownership of your life. So first we recognize we need saving. Secondly, we repent. The third R is this, it's to receive. We receive him. This is a gift according to Ephesians 2. It's a gift that's been given to us. What we do is we receive him. It's as simple as that church. And I believe that there are people here this morning who need to receive Jesus. You need the redemptive work of Christ. Maybe, maybe you've been to church often, years of going to church, but you have never expressed your faith in Jesus and received the redemptive work of Christ. Today's your day. Maybe you're brand new to this and you stumbled in off the street. You had no idea while you were here. Guess what? God knew you were here. There's, I believe there's those of us who need to receive the Lord here this morning. And I wanna help you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. If you need to be born again, I wanna lead you in a prayer. You say, well, Jody, I, I didn't think it was works that got us saved and you're right. Because what I always say is there's no magic words in this prayer. This prayer is just a tool that we use. And if you will attach your heart to this prayer, you're gonna experience the redemptive work of Christ here today. Old things passed away, behold, all things becoming new, a new creation. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna lead, lead you to the Lord in a minute. I also think though, that in this room, there are people who have walked in the redemptive work, have experienced the redemptive work of Jesus, but you've just gotten cold and you've gotten distant and you've gotten distracted and you've strayed and there's just that disconnect between, between you and God. And I believe this is gonna be a moment where God's going to re-encounter people this morning. I wanna give an opportunity for, I guess what we would call rededication in light of the revelation we received about the redemptive work of Jesus. Maybe we're living in a way that doesn't truly value what's been given to us. I want God to bring people home this morning. Can I hear an amen?